Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to St. Matthew's. I'm Brian, one of the associate pastors, and uh, I'm just glad to see so many people here and our students here from the D-Now weekend. It's, it's really a blessing to have that. And so today what we're going to do is continue in our series of this, I believe, looking at some of the foundational beliefs of our faith and, and what that means for us in our lives today. And so today our passage is going to be coming from Colossians, the first chapter, and we'll be reading verses 11 through 20. So I invite you to follow along in your own Bible that you have, whether it's a Bible app or a hard copy Bible, or you can follow on the screens behind me as I read the Word. So starting off with verse 11. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from His glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience, while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Okay, so, yes, I brought some props today, and there's a reason for these props, okay? These are common household things that I believe most of you will have, okay? If not, you've seen them before, okay? We'll at least have that much. So, a tape measure, okay? This is a good, sturdy tape measure uh, that I got from Tim's office. He does not know I borrow his things, okay? But this is Tim's tape measure. He has a toolbox that we get to raid every now and then. As long as you put it back, he's okay with it. So tape measure, obviously you use this when you're doing a project, whether you need to see, you know, how big of a furniture piece will fit on the wall over here, or, you know, if I'm making something and cutting boards, you know, how much to cut, this will, this will greatly help you in that endeavor, right? However, do you ever know what this little thing on the end's for? It's there, it has a purpose, but do you ever think about what the purpose is? There are a few things at the end of the tape measure Uh, has a purpose for. And it's loose for a reason. It's loose because when you want to measure a wall and you're going against the whole length of the wall, you want to measure the wall completely. So you put it on the end of the wall and you pull it and it gives a little bit. So that way you'll have the exact measurement and you're not measuring that little metal piece. Or if you're measuring inside of a drawer, it pushes in so you get the better measurement of the inside of the drawer. There's a reason why it's loose. Also, there's a hole on the end there. And so you can tack a little nail. If you're by yourself trying to pull it, you can tack it in, pull it, it holds itself there, and it won't move as much. And if you need a straight line, it's straight. So there's a lot of reasons. There's a metal piece at the end of the tape measure if you've never thought of that before. Let's see. Okay, we have a wrench and a screwdriver. All right, do you know why there's a hole at the end of the wrench? Well, if you're working on a project and you need a little more torque to twist something... You put the screwdriver in there. It gives you better grip, and you can twist it a lot easier when you're using your whole hand muscle with the screwdriver than if you didn't have that. 
All right. I could not bring one or find one in the church kitchen, which makes me wonder how do they cook spaghetti. But when you cook spaghetti, the spaghetti spoon itself has a hole in the middle of the hole of the spoon. Do y'all know why? Is it for the water to rush out of it? No. You can actually take a measurement of spaghetti, get your spaghetti sticks, and if you fit it in the hole, that's about a serving. Okay. So it helps you get the serving sizes of your spaghetti. Who would have thought that? Your pot has a hole in the end. Yes, you can hang it, but what's the other reason? If you've got a spoon or something of the sort, you can fit it through the hole and it'll hold it for you while you're cooking. And if you don't have a ladle to lay it on, so it holds the spoon there. All right, two more things, two more things. There's a lot of things out there that have purposes that we don't really think about. Your blue jeans. You ever notice they've got these little rivets on them? Do you think they're for style design or have a function? They actually have a function. They hold your pants together, okay? It's not held together by stitching, but the rivets come together where pieces connect, and it's also pieces that commonly touch seats and surfaces that would wear away quicker if it didn't have a metal rivet there to protect it and hold your pants together. So there's a purpose to the rivets on your blue jeans, okay? And then, of course, pins and pin tops, okay? Pin tops have holes in it, okay, for a couple reasons, one, it's okay to help the pen and the ink in the pen not dry out completely. But the other reason is, for folks who like to chew on their pen tops, if you accidentally swallow one, it'll help with the airflow if you get stuck. Okay, Don't chew on your pen tops. It's nasty. You don't know who's touching the top of the pen top, but don't chew on them. Okay? But these are everyday items that we see, and we may not stop to think about, that they have a purpose. Okay, They have a purpose, a function, something that we need. Well, in our series, we're looking, as I said, at the foundational beliefs of Christianity. Okay, And the first season, or the first message that we started off with was that you've got to know God, have a relationship with God to know what you believe. Knowing means relationship. Then we looked at made in the image of God. What, is that, what does that mean for us? What does God look like? Well, it's love lived out through us and what Jesus did. Last week, we looked at the most uncomfortable thing probably with our faith, and that is sin. And what is the purpose of sin? And do we need to acknowledge sin? And what does that mean for us? And then today, of course, as Kate talked about Jesus Christ and her children's moment, today we're going to look at Jesus. We're going to look at Jesus because you've got to have belief in him for our whole faith to work. Okay, But, you know, we all look at Jesus... And most of us think he came for one thing only, that he had one purpose only. And while it's a big purpose, and he fulfilled that purpose, like many of the household items we have, there's more than just one thing that Jesus can do for us. When we look at Scripture, when we read, let's say, in Luke's Gospel, and I'm going to read Luke chapter 23, verses 33 through 43, When I read this, this explains one reason for Jesus. And it's the reason we often think about when we study him and when we try to remember him. Verse 33 of chapter 23. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus. There with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. 
If he is the Messiah of the God, then he can save himself. Then the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, then save yourself. And there was also an inscription over him that said, The king of the Jews. Now one of the criminals who was hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Then save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do not fear God, since you are under the same sentence and condemnation. And we indeed have been condemned justly, and we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man here has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then he replied, Truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. So the crucifixion. Jesus, he came to be crucified, to pay our price, to provide a path for us to, to be saved, for all in the world to be right, to do what Adam could not have done, which was to resist temptation. But there's other purposes and reasons for Jesus. There are other things that he does for us besides just that. When you look at most altar tables, you'll see that there's two candles. It's another one of those things you probably see all the time, but don't know or understand the reason why there's two candles. Those two candles explain something to us about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is twofold. There's two parts to him. He is fully human, and while he is fully human, he's fully divine. And so most churches will have two candles to represent and to show what Jesus is, human and God, human and divine. There's two parts to him. And that's important for us to know. That is important for us to know as Christians. What I read in Luke talks about the crucifixion, one part of God. But in this letter here from Colossians is Paul's letter to the city of Colossae. And it describes other reasons for Jesus as well. Paul wrote this more than likely while he was in prison in Rome. And I don't know about you, but when you're in prison, the last thing you try to do is give encouragement to those outside of prison. But Paul was real good about that. He thought beyond himself and would write letters to his churches that he knew about and encourage them while he was waiting for his death sentence in prison. And so here he wrote to this church, the Colossians, a a big metropolitan city, to give them encouragement and to explain to them about Jesus Christ. This is what he says again in verse 11 through 14. He says, May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, so that you may have endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints and the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. This first part here is is giving thanks. It's giving thanks to God for what Jesus has done for us. It's giving thanks for the price that Christ paid. And here's the reason. Because we enjoy in the inheritance. We get to enjoy in the inheritance of the saints. And so when you hear about that, you think inheritance. Well, usually inheritance is something you get like after someone's passed away. Or they're on their way out the door. Okay, You don't usually get it until they pass away and then you receive your inheritance. Whether it's 
property or money or whatever it is. And yes, Jesus provided us this inheritance, but this inheritance wants to be connected to God's kingdom, to be a part of God's kingdom. But, but it's not meant for us for when we pass away. No. This type of inheritance that Paul is talking about is an inheritance of now. Right now, Jesus has provided us this inheritance that we get to be a part of the kingdom of God now, today. We don't have to wait until we die. It is this very moment that we receive this gift. And so Paul is reminding his church here that you have this inheritance now. While you're being persecuted, you are part of God's kingdom because of what Jesus Christ did. And so because you have this inheritance, you should be thankful. You should celebrate. Live your life with enthusiasm despite your persecution and challenges. As I said, Paul's writing from prison, waiting to receive his death sentence. But yet he's saying, be thankful and joyful. Have enthusiasm in all that you do because your inheritance is today, not in the future. And then Paul gets into, with verse 15, many people say when you look at this letter that he wrote, this is actually with verse 15 through 20, part of a hymn. A hymn that these people would have known, that they would have sung it in their churches. When we see it, it looks like just part of a written letter, but this is what it is. Verse 15 through 20, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things will be created through him. He himself is before all things. He holds all things together. He's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven and earth, by making peace through the blood of the cross." And so the deeper meaning is here is because, yes, Jesus died, but he is also the invisible image of God. He is the best example of what God would look like through what he does and believes. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's there from the beginning of time. And all things were reconciled through him. He himself is before all things and holds everything together. He is that glue between us and God. And without him, we would just fall apart. Jesus is just more than someone who went to the cross. He is so much more than just that. And so when we look at that as Christians, that should change in how we act and treat one another. That each, every person here, each, every person on this planet... God sent Jesus for them to show them the invisible God, to be the peace that connects the billions of humans to their creator. And so we must understand that. We must not forget that. And so we need to be looking at what does that mean for us as a church? What does that mean for us individually? What does it mean for us to acknowledge that Christ is the king? The firstborn. And we are a part of that kingdom. What does that look like for us to put Jesus as Lord above all else? 
You know, there's plenty of things in our life that we put as little mini lords. Many different things. It could be status. It could be money. It could be your cell phones and social media presence. It can be somebody else in your life. But no, those things will fail you each and every time. Those things do not connect you to God. It is Jesus. And so we need to understand that Jesus should be put as Lord of our lives. That all that we do should focus on Him. If we all put our focus on Jesus, there would be a lot less fighting amongst groups of folks. But when you start putting the focus on yourself or material things, then we have conflict. Things begin to fall apart. But when you focus on Jesus, things are held together. He is the connector. He is the Lord of our lives. He is the one that brings us to God. He is both human and divine. And so I think in this series, as we go about looking at the important parts of our faith, I think there's more than to Jesus than to him just going to the cross. He is so much more. He is so much more to us, to the church, and that should change how we view things. It should change how we live our lives. It should change how we treat one another. It should change how we should worship God. We should be fully, fully involved in worshiping our God because of Jesus.